you. Morning, church. It's always such a privilege just for us to spend time together, um, just really um, listening to what God has to say. So obviously we are in uh, week five of our journey, a pack of salt. And just a quick uh, recap, it is a true saying that a man must eat a pack of salt with his friends, with his friend, before he knows them. And I think the heart behind that was to say, for you to truly or to truly get to know someone, you need to have a lot of meals. And just to break down a peck of salt, a peck of salt is roughly about eight uh, kilograms in terms of uh, mass. And uh, Google says you should not have more than six grams. So if you broke six grams every day, it takes you roughly three years to go through a peck of salt. So that should give you an idea of how many meals you're supposed to have until you get to know someone. But just so you understand, that's not, that's not scripture. It's just a wise saying. So we felt as a team or as a preaching team that we wanted to just go through a journey where we just get to really understand what does kingdom community look like. This is an example that we see um, in the book of Luke where we have seen how Jesus uses meals to show people what kingdom community looks like. So the first meal that we see in, in, in Luke was the, the meal in, in Luke 5, where Jesus actually had a meal with tax collectors, with sinners. And the heart of it was we see that that, that was a meal of evangelism. So Jesus is actually addressing an issue that we're supposed to be inclusive. We are supposed to be a people that are inclusive. We're not supposed to be a people where we spend time with only the people that we know, but we have a responsibility to sit around the table with people that um, we might not know. The second meal that we saw was Luke 7, 34, where we saw the lady that, that anointed the feet of Jesus with, with, with perfume. And also in the same house, we see how there was a Pharisee. Two people that would never, ever find themselves in the same room, but because Jesus was at the center, we see once again that there was a, a, a table of reconciliation with regards to that particular meal. Luke 9, that's where Quinton spoke about um, the feeding of the 5,000. And once again, we saw a, 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 a table of mission where Jesus includes his disciples where he basically has this miracle where 5,000 people are fed. And the last meal that we, we looked at was Luke 10, where we saw Martha and Mary. And it was interesting how Martha was so focused, she was so focused on serving that she forgot that Jesus was right, that she forgot that the presence of Jesus was there. And it was interesting how Jesus never said what Martha was doing was wrong. All he said was, Mary chose what was better. So we saw a table of discipleship. So the next meal that we're going to look at this morning is in Luke 11. And I'm not sure if you've picked it up, but you probably are noticing how in, in, in the Gospel of Luke, it's as if Jesus either is going to a meal, in a meal, or is from a meal. That's something that we basically get to see in the Gospel of Luke. So we're going to be reading from Luke 11, verse 37 to 40. It says, As Jesus was speaking, one of the Pharisees invited him home, he invited him home for a meal. So he went in and took his place at the table. His host was amazed to see that he sat down to eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony required by Jewish custom. Then the Lord said to him, You Pharisees are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and wickedness. Fools, didn't God make the inside as well as the outside? 
So clean the inside by giving gifts to the poor, and you will be clean all over. It is interesting how if you actually go back to the Old Testament, there was a commandment that was actually given to the, to the, to the family of Aaron, or a commandment that was given to the priest. And the commandment was the priests are supposed to wash their hands, and they're supposed to wash their feet. That was the commandment to the priests. But what happened was over time, that commandment got extended to normal people, got extended to normal food. So what we're actually seeing here is, is, a, is a game of broken telephone. I don't know if you're aware of a, broken telephone, a game of broken telephone where I would whisper a word to, to, to Marianne, and then Marianne would pass it on to the next person, then it carries on, carries on, carries on. And by the time it gets to the last person, what I had said initially is not what the last person had had. And we are seeing the same example here with regards to the word of God, where God said one thing, and then over time, once again, a, 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 a game of broken telephone was played, and then 2,000 years later, we are seeing people now being they're subjected to a human law instead of what God had said. And the, the, the heart issue here is the Pharisee is, is surprised because he's saying, you're not washing your hands, you're not washing your feet. But he's talking to Jesus, forgetting that he's trying to apply a human law to Jesus. And if we are not careful, we might find ourselves living a life where we are also so focused on cleaning the outside, but not realizing that the inside is not clean. But then if you ask yourself, what is the root cause? What is the root of the problem where we're living lives or, or the world is full of, of, of people or ourselves where we're always focused on cleaning the outside? And I was just reminded of a conversation I had um, with my dad. It was quite a, a tough conversation we, we were talking about. And I was looking through my yearbook and I was just looking. I was like, wow. I was just looking at how young I was. And I was going to church. I was looking at my Bible. And I said, Dad, there was like a hundred of us. You know, we used to go to conferences. We used to do everything right. But then I look now, we are not where we were. 10, 12, 15 years ago, what happened? My dad looks at me and he says, the biggest mistake we made, including myself, was we assumed you guys were Christians. You guys walked the talk, or you walked the walk, or you talked the talk, but you guys were not Christians. And that was quite a tough conversation for a son, for, for a son and a father to have, where father's actually sitting there and acknowledging that we made a mistake. We assumed you guys were Christians. But when I begin to meditate on that statement, we assumed you guys were Christians. Where does that come from? And I was reminded also once again when I was growing up, um, there was this one time I had to go up in front of the church and just say a couple of, of words. And I remember my dad and I had a very big altercation. So I was wearing a shirt, and my dad is like, you need to wear a jacket. I said, I don't need to wear a jacket. I can wear a T-shirt. My dad is like, Absolutely not. You do not stand in front of a stage unless you have a jacket. And as I'm meditating, I'm realizing as much as my dad probably wanted, obviously, for me to know that our heart posture is true, what I heard was clean up before you show up. What I heard more than anything was this is what you need to wear. This is what you need to say. This is what you need to act. That's what I grew up seeing. And it's quite scary how when you look at the root cause of, of, of everything that I'm talking about, there is a biblical word for 
teaching someone to be an actor instead of them being authentic to who they are. The Bible calls this being a hypocrite. When you look at the root cause of the word hypocrite, this is what it actually says. It says, one who puts on a mask and pretends to be what they are not, an actor or a stage player. So without realizing it, as a, as a young child, as a young boy, I was trained to be a hypocrite or an actor. As much as this is my story, I believe even each and every one of us that are sitting in this room could, could actually relate to what I'm saying, where you either maybe had the same childhood growing up where you're always told this is how you act, this is what you say, this is what you do, not realizing that you're being trained to be an actor. And that's the childhood that I found myself with. And if you're not careful, as time goes on, this life of being a hypocrite becomes a tradition. The definition of a tradition is an inherited, established pattern of thought, action, or behavior. An inherited, established pattern of thought, action, or behavior. So basically, you're trained to be an actor, which is a hypocrite, which then becomes tradition, and then over time, tradition becomes rules, and then over time, rules replace the word of God. And that is the root cause of many of us where we grow up, once again, focusing on cleaning the outside and neglecting cleaning the inside. And when we find ourselves where rules, tradition has replaced the word of God, we find ourselves as hypocrites. And Isaiah 29 verse 13 just gives us an idea of how much God does not like hypocrites. So Isaiah 29 13 says, the Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules they have been taught. And when I read that, I really felt hard actually just reading that because if you've read Exodus, when the Israelites were in slavery, God says, my people are in slavery. My people need to be set free. But in Isaiah, he says, these people. It's quite a tough one to read. Exodus, my people. Isaiah, this people. And why is that? Because hypocrisy is something that God does not like. So the big idea is tradition leads to religion, but then heart worship leads to a relationship. Tradition or, or basically religion is what takes us away from the presence of God, but heart worship helps us have fellowship with the Lord. Tradition leads to religion, heart worship leads to a relationship. So we need to find ourselves where we need to move from a space where we are called this people to a place where we are called my people. And for us to transition into that, we need to really look into our hearts. But then what, is, what can we learn from what Jesus said? What can we learn in terms of what Jesus did to address this issue where, once again, I have found myself where I've got a hypocritical heart, or maybe you have found yourself where you've got a hypocritical heart. What can we learn from Jesus with regards to this? If you further read Luke 11, verse 42, this is Jesus addressing the Pharisees. 
uh, verse 42 says, What sorrow awaits you Pharisees, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your, herbs, from your herb gardens, but you ignore justice and the love of God. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. It's interesting how Jesus is actually not criticizing people for tithing, but he's criticizing your priority in life. So this is a call to get our priority right. And the question there is, our priorities, are they still in line with God's priorities? And just an example, just to give you an idea where sometimes our priorities might not be the same as Jesus. I remember I was sharing once, um, I was driving to church, and this one person was busy pushing their car. And I looked at the person, and I'm driving, and then I just carried on. And something in my heart said, oh, wow, so you're saying I'm going to God, but I don't have time for people. That's an example where our priorities are not the same as God's priorities. Another example, yes, it might be a bit of an extreme example, is where, for example, let's say I tithe faithfully all the time. And the next month or next week you hear Chaz has been arrested because of tax evasion or Chaz has been arrested because I've been defrauding people. Basically, I'm living a life where I'm saying, Lord, I'm going to tithe. I'm going to give you what you need, but I'm going to defraud your people. That's a lifestyle where our priorities is not a representation of God's priorities. So what are God's priorities? Justice. What is justice? Where we live lives where we act justly. We do the right thing even though no one is looking at it. That is what it is to live a life full of justice. And also we need to be giving people the love of God. Yes, it's okay to give money or whatever it is we give, but don't neglect to give the more important things, justice and also giving the love of God. And what is the love of God? John has defined the love of God Love people just as I have loved you. Right off the bat, it's defined. The love of God has been defined. So don't come to me and say, Chaz, what is your interpretation of, of love? I, I, will, I might mislead you. Don't go to Scott and say, what is an interpretation of love? Go back to the Bible because Jesus has defined it and it's quite clear. Love people just as I have loved you. So now we know how, what we need to do. So now we need to sit down, meditate, and realize, but what has God or what has Jesus done for you? And then when you get that answer, that is what you are supposed to do. Love people as I have loved you. Even in uh, 1 Corinthians 13, we are reminded of the importance of love where um, the, the Bible says you can speak the language of angels or you can have faith that moves mountain, but if you do not have love, you are nothing. So Jesus is addressing a priority issue to say, yes, give what you want to do. We can serve. We can give our time. We can give our tithe. But there's something that is more important than that, and that is giving justice. That is giving the love of God. And ultimately, there is no salvation without the love of God. So that's the first thing that we see there. The second thing that we see is in verse 43, where Jesus says, What sorrow awaits you Pharisees? For you love to sit in the seats of honor in the synagogues and receive respectful greetings as you walk in the marketplace. So the second thing that we see where Jesus is addressing hypocritical hearts is saying, sometimes in terms of humility, humility won't exist in our, in, in, in our hearts. And the best example I can think of is the parable of the Pharisee and the text collector. So please just listen to this prayer. God, I thank you that I am not like other people. 
I'm not like robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. All I heard in that prayer was I. I didn't hear anything. But how about this, this prayer? But the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven. And all he said was, God, have mercy on me, for I am a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And James 4 verse 6 says, God opposes the proud, but give grace to the humble. We see in that example once again, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I'm also reminded of Isaiah where God said, this people as opposed to my people. So the second thing that we are called to do, or the same thing we need to be seeing is we are called to have humble hearts. We are called to have humbled hearts. If we live a life where we can see that there's a little bit of a hypocritical hardness in my heart, we need to be reminded that we are called to be humble. And the third thing that we see in terms of Jesus dealing with the Pharisees is in, in verse 44 where it says, What sorrow awaits you for you are like hidden graves in a field. People walk over them without knowing the corruption they are stepping on. So in the Old Testament, what would happen is um, if you walked over a grave, you were regarded as unclean for seven days. You were regarded as unclean for seven days. So what would happen is if someone passed on and a person was buried, that grave had to be marked. So as people are walking, they'll be like, oh, there's a grave, and then they skip right through it. So you are not unclean for seven days. And Jesus is saying, if you're not careful, just like an unmarked grave, people are walking over this unmarked grave and they're unclean without them realizing it. So Jesus is saying, don't be the kind of person where you are making people stumble and they don't even realize it. You're making people stumble and they don't even realize it. Matthew 12 verse 36 says, but I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every, for every empty word that have been spoken. So we get to see that when we have people around our dining room tables, when we get to have meals and we get to fellowship with people, we need to be reminded, we need to be careful that we are going to give an account for every word that we have given. And we have a responsibility to speak life. So the, thing, the third thing that Jesus is addressing here is when we have people around the table, we need to speak life because we will have to give an account for all the words that we have to say. So the first thing that Jesus is addressing, get our priorities right. When you have people around the table, our agendas should not be the priority when we are fellowshipping with people. God's agenda has to be a priority. Humility, our tables, our meals have to be full of Humility, not full of ourselves, but full of humility. And then lastly, we need to be careful that our words are always full of life. Because if they are not full of life, what's happening is we are actually just speaking death into the people that have a privilege to spend time in the different dining room tables that we have. But then the question is then, what is the solution? I mean, Jesus has shown the problem, but what is the solution? And the best way to look at the solution is to look at a scripture where there was a Pharisee who once again had a hypocritical heart and was asking Jesus a question. 
And this is how Jesus responded. This was in Matthew 9, verse 13. It says, Now go and learn the meaning of the scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know that they are sinners. So what is Jesus saying here? When Jesus says, I want you to go and learn, he's saying, get to know me. I like how he never said, go to a pastor, go to an elder. He says, go and learn what the scriptures say. So what he's saying is, get to know me. Get to spend time with me. And how do we do that? It's something that we know that very well. We pray. We read our Bibles. We call upon his name. We show mercy to people. Get to know me. And then what is the definition of mercy? Mercy is compassion or kindness shown to someone who doesn't deserve it. So Jesus is saying, get to know me, and then by you getting to know me, you'll get to understand why I desire mercy from you. Get to know me. So mercy is God withholding the punishment we deserve because of our sinfulness. The consequences of our sin meant that we deserved death, but because of God's mercy, we did not get what we deserve. So once again, the definition of mercy is when you don't get what you don't deserve. Get to know me. Why is that important? Because you're going to live a life worthy of the love that I have shown you. So Jesus is saying, I have shown you love. I have shown you compassion. I've prayed for you. I've discipled you. I picked up my cross for you. When you have learned those words, then it's easier for you then to live a life that is a representation of what I have done for you. And then lastly, the heart of what we are trying to say or what I'm trying to say this morning is with the other meals that we've spoken about, we can see, you know, there were quite quite visible lessons that we can see. But with this particular meal, it's addressing the heart. It's asking the question, is our heart in the right place? We shouldn't find ourselves having meals where we've got A-grade Christian expressions, but the reality is all of us are dead on the inside. We are just wasting our time. When we're having meals, when we're fellowshipping with people, first and foremost, are our hearts in the right place? Are my heart in the right place? And on the, on the last note, in Proverbs 4, it says, above all else, guard your heart, because out of every, that's where everything flows or if that's where everything overflows the heart is the center of our emotions the heart is the center of our thoughts the heart is the center of our choices and just as the source of water can go bad so can our hearts go bad and if we have lost our heart we've lost everything because we have seen that that is something that god hates god doesn't god doesn't want us to worship him through lips he wants our hearts surrendered to him The heart is worth guarding because out of the heart, everything gets to flow. And I will close this with just the verse that Godfrey read for breaking of bread. It's interesting how Jesus can open almost every door. There is one door that he can't open, and that's the door of your heart. He can open every door, but the heart or the door to your heart In Revelations 3, I stand and knock. 
I stand and knock. Would you be brave this morning to open the door of your heart and allow Jesus to come in, wash us clean, so that we live lives where we are not hypocritical, we live lives where we are not stage actors, but we live a pure life, where we live lives where we give true heart worship as opposed to hypocritical lifestyle. Amen? I'd love to, to pray for you. Oh, may we please stand? Father, we, we come before you this morning with just our hearts wide open to you, just wide open to your word. And Father, we say, wash us clean of traditions, of rules that we might be aware of or we might not be aware of. This morning we stand and we say, Lord, we repent of that. Wash us clean so that we live lives that are worthy of, of, of what you want us to do or, what you, or, or the way you want us to live. We want to be a church of pure hearts. We want to be a church of pure moral hearts. We don't want to be a church where we are known to be externally clean, but on the inside we are dead. We want to be known as a church where on the inside we are clean just as we are clean on the outside. Father, we don't want to be separated from you because of our heart posture. We want to fellowship with you. We want a life of fellowship with you. I'm reminded of Genesis where the, where the Bible says, Enoch walked faithfully with you. That's the life that we want to do in your presence, living in your presence. So for each and every one that is not at that place, Father, I pray this morning, hear our words this morning, clean our hearts, and ultimately give us the wisdom to be able to guard our hearts as we live out this life that you have blessed us with. Father, I pray this in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.